everybody. Welcome to a brand new edition of Pick and Pod, quarantine edition. I am Dominic Capone, glad to be joined by Jack Roach and Andrew Posadas. And guys, it is May 11th, exactly two months ago on March 11th. The NBA stopped in its tracks and we found out that Rudy Gobert tested positive for the coronavirus. And even though there has been no basketball, there's been a lot of news, especially surrounding The Last Dance and Michael Jordan's documentary that that has uh, come out these past few weeks. Yeah, I'll just go now, Dom. It's it's sorry, Jack, but let me go for about. I'll just say this. It's been crazy to think about the fact that we haven't had anything, no basketball, no baseball, no hockey. And we kind of lost sports at at an important time. You're talking about March, March Madness. There was so much going on. So it was a great idea by ESPN to just bring the release date up for The Last Dance. And Jack, I, I think you can agree, and I think everyone can agree that that Sunday nights have now become that night for us these past, you know, three, four weeks. For sure. And you even go on Twitter and people are like covering this documentary like it's a live sporting event. Like everyone who cares about basketball is tuning in to ESPN to watch this. It's funny. We saw it when the NFL had the draft and now there's Korean baseball on ESPN. I never thought I would see see that. And the Jordan documentary, obviously, and then UFC just starting up again with no fans. So it seems like sports are starting to take that turn into where people can appreciate it even more as they start to come back. But th- that's going to be a big question now. Can basketball come back this year? And if so, how are they going to do it? And are fans going to be in attendance? I mean, I would say just off the bat, I mean, Shaq was on the other day and he said that they should scrap the entire season, that you should yeah, put an asterisk, whoever wins the championship, doesn't matter. But I think there's a couple of guys out there, namely LeBron James and Giannis Antetokounmpo, who would probably beg to differ because, you know, they've put their teams right where they need to be to make a championship run. So honestly, I mean, we had that strike season, what was it, 98, 99, where they played a short amount of games. We had one even more recent a couple years back so i mean honestly they could say those are asterisks but we don't really talk about that jack so i don't think there'll be any asterisks on this season i think they played enough games where we kind of know who the eight best teams are in each respective conference totally and as the playoff picture is kind of settled something that we kind of forget about is the momentum that these teams carry going into the playoffs you know you see a Lakers team really grooving, really finding that chemistry. And you take this like two, we're looking at three months hiatus off from basketball. And it's really interesting to see what teams, if we do come back, are able to maintain that, that chemistry that they built up throughout the whole season. Let's jump right into the last dance yesterday, episode seven and eight. Um, and episode seven featured Jordan's retirement Um, from basketball, his uh, pursuit of a Major League Baseball career, his unfortunate, uh, the unfortunate passing of his father's, of his father. Um, And then the question mark surrounding uh, Jordan in practice, is he a bad teammate? The end of episode seven really answered everything pertaining to what he was uh, about. For me, the quote ending episode seven really got to me. I never asked him to do something that I wasn't doing. 
So it's not like Jordan was going out there and bossing everyone around to do something that he wasn't doing. He just expected everyone to be on his level. Whether that was unfair or not, that's up for that's up uh, to you. But from his eyes, he was just pushing everyone to be great. And Dom, just to add on to that, it's crazy because most times in sports, the best players, it's usually one or the other. They'll be just the best player just because they have that God-given talent or the best players come from the guys who are just driven the hardest, who have the highest work ethic. And MJ had both. I mean, he was just naturally talented and he had the work ethic to back it up. So as teammates, you can't really tell MJ, hey, I'm not running extra sprints when you see him finishing first every single time from baseline to baseline. So I think that just says a lot. And when you talk about somebody like LeBron James, you know, he leads differently. He's more player friendly. Magic Johnson was kind of the same way, too, with the Lakers in the 80s. But MJ, Kobe, these are just guys cut from a different cloth where Jack, it's just they're assassins. And if you think they're tyrants, they'll say, okay, just like Jordan said, yeah, but you've never won anything. And we've seen it from both him and Kobe with six and five rings that, you know, that type of leadership can bring you success. Totally. And I I saw something on Twitter the other day and it was, uh, it said something along the lines of Adam Silver's so lucky that his star is uh, LeBron James and not Michael Jordan. And uh, you look at some of the, the footage that we've seen throughout the last dance and I mean the proof is in the rings but he really comes off as an absolute maniac right like like Steve Kerr saying that uh Michael Jordan punching him in the face was like the best thing that could have happened it's like hearing someone with like Stockholm syndrome talking about like (laughs) oh yeah yeah that, that was a good thing you know him punching me that was great um but I mean he's you can't deny like when he went out there he he didn't lose yeah, no doubt. And and going off of the 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 maniac that is Michael Jordan or uh, the psychopath, some people would say. I mean, they 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 showed stories in episode eight. B.J. Armstrong torches the Bulls and ties the 1998 semifinals up at a game apiece. Jordan was like, okay, that was cute, but watch this. And then they ended up winning the series. And then LeBradford Smith, the story of uh, the Bullets in 1993, puts up 37 points one night against the Bulls. And then the very next night they go to Washington and MJ makes up this story in the, in the, in the press saying that LeBradford Smith came up to him and was basically like good game, Mike, while putting his arm around him. We find out that that isn't true. And MJ puts up 36 points in the first half. He used these little stories that he just puts into his mind as fuel, as uh, inspiration. And he goes out and does these, uh, these unbelievable things on the basketball court. It's interesting to see those stories and what he does to, uh, and, and even Gary Payton in the 1995, um, 96 rather, 96 finals. Um, you just saw Jordan laughing at Gary Payton was basically like he, the glove wasn't, uh, wasn't a match for me. Like it, it was totally fine going up against Gary Payton. It, it was interesting to see what he used as inspiration and as fuel. And Dom, MJ just, he just feels like almost a mythical creature with just the way he moves, his motives, just the way he thinks. And it really just isn't for the faint of heart. Like There's a lot of people who look at him and say he's a maniac. And there are some athletes who have praised and said, hey, that's the type of teammate you need. Like That's how you want your star to be. Because at the end of the day, the ultimate goal is to win a championship. And guys like Jed Butler and Steve Kerr, uh, Luke Longley, those guys, although they might have gotten some bullying or that hard, tough love, they can say that they had multiple championships and they played with one of the great 
the greatest player of all time and one of the greatest dynasties that we've seen in all of sports. And Jack, that wasn't even the only story from from that time. The 1996 finals, you guys you guys heard Michael Jordan talking about it uh, in the documentary yesterday, how George Carl was at a restaurant. He didn't say anything to MJ, so MJ was like, okay, so that's the kind of game we're going to play. And he used that as fuel for, for that series. And then even when he came back and was wearing number 45 in game one against or- the Orlando Magic, uh, he finished the game. I guess he, he had two turnovers in the final seconds, and they lost that game. And Nick Anderson, 45 isn't 23. So, of course, Jordan unretires 23 before game two. Uh, and even though they didn't win that series, it just goes to show you his <laughs> mentality. Yeah, it's crazy to hear the little things that he used to motivate himself. And if he couldn't do that, like at the, the end of the first three-peat, when he couldn't motivate himself, he had to find a completely different sport. And it's just crazy to see him do that and then come back and, you know, hit the ground running and have a, a second three-peat. And look, I understand, Andrew, like I understand where Jordan's coming from, where he says he expects everyone to um, to work as hard as he can. I, I believe he, he understands that people aren't going to be as good as him, but he just wants people to have that same mentality as him. And you have to understand, some guys in the NBA clock in and out like regular jobs. They show up, they grab their four rebounds per game, they score their five points, and then they're done for the day. Not Michael. He wanted more and more and more. So, yes, it's possible for Jordan's teammates to work as hard as him, but I, I just don't know if they even wanted to because Michael knew that in order to win, everyone would have to buy in to what he was doing. So, yes, they might have not liked him during a Tuesday night practice in October, but it felt all that much sweeter when they won in June. Exactly. And I think that's what the documentary does for those players. They can look back and say, all right, all of those tough practices, all of those times that Michael yelled at me and told me to do this and do that and cursed at me, that was all worth it because at the end of the day, six championships in eight years and potentially maybe more if Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinstorf didn't just fumble what they had here. They wanted to rebuild much earlier, maybe a year or two earlier than they should have. But, mm-hmm. but again, you're right, Dom. Uh, MJ is just, again, a, a different kind of cat whose brain just is on. It's just wired different. And really, at the end of the day, when you think about the legacy that he leaves, it's just this last dance. Now, this documentary really just puts it in perspective for me, you and Jack, guys who didn't really get to see him in his prime. Now we really get to see that MJ was exactly what everyone told us he he was when we were growing up. Mm hmm. And once again, I'm Dominic Capone, Jack Roach, Andrew Posadas. We also have Jimmy Sullivan, uh, our producer um, from, uh, I, I believe you're in Bergen County, right, right, yes. Jimmy? And I, I know you want to add something on the subject. Um, the only thing I had to say was I had to laugh when I heard Nick Anderson yeah. trash-talking Michael Jordan, considering how that ended for him in 1995. I thought that was funny. I know, right? Like, yeah. I, I mean, I always remember this story of Nick Anderson just chiming, saying 45 isn't 23. But like you said, Jimmy, it's just, it's just funny to see all these guys try to poke at the bear that is Michael Jordan, and almost all of them fail um, at doing so. Yeah, and and if, especially when you know they get to the finals that year, and 
he gets up to the foul line. It's miss, miss, rebound, miss, miss. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's no Michael Jordan. That I could tell you. <laughs> he got the nickname uh, in that in that finals, Nick the Brick and Brick Anderson. So, <laughs> just goes to show you what happens when you go after Michael Jordan. Yeah, I mean the whole thing has just been so entertaining, and honestly, the worst part about the documentary for me is knowing how the whole thing's going to play out. Like we're not uh, we're not going into the next episode. Like, oh, do you think Jordan's going to beat the Pacers? Um, it's just. It's, it's mm-hmm. been put together so well, and there hasn't been a dull moment throughout the whole documentary. And I, I don't know about you guys, but since this Jordan documentary came out, Dwayne Wade said he has a documentary. They were talking about Kobe Bryant having a documentary of his last season. I think we need to start making this in every year occurrence or for every superstar in their final year. We just need to keep having these documentaries because this is some interesting stuff we get to look into, especially that – 97 98 season with uh, Jordan and his teammates with the cameras up close. Yeah, and Dom, there's just there's so many basketball players I can think of who have those type of personalities that we need to see a documentary of. You said Kobe, you said Dwayne Wade. What about Shaq? Everyone would mm-hmm. love to just see Shaq. Just as his story is, there's a lot of what ifs if he had stayed in shape. Obviously, he still is a Hall of Famer in his own right. Uh, somebody, two people that we saw in the episodes. Penny Hardaway and Grant Hill, two guys who were touted to be the next big thing. Obviously, injuries derailing their careers, but there's just a lot in the NBA, especially during that time in the 90s, a lot of great stars that just don't get talked about because they couldn't get over the hill and they couldn't beat MJ. Yeah, I definitely think that this documentary has made me more excited or at least more focused on stars as they're playing in the league. Like, I don't know, looking back at a team like the Thunder when they had um, Durant, Westbrook, Harden, Ibaka together and somehow not winning a championship, like that's a documentary right there. Yeah, 100%. I'm, I, I can't wait to see, a, especially a documentary on LeBron James at some point. I don't know if his is going to be as riveting as this Jordan one is because of the character that was Michael Jordan, especially with his teammates behind closed doors in practice. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see when, if, uh, and if uh, these documentaries ever come out. And I know one thing that this documentary is doing, and it's keeping everyone's mind uh, in basketball form. So if the NBA season does come back, they will be sharp um, for every fan out there. There are about 16 to 17 games, guys, left for about each team on their schedule. If the NBA season comes back, they need to figure out how much time the players need to get back into basketball shape. You can't just start the season up again by jumping into the playoffs. Now, I'm not saying play the rest of the entire schedule. Maybe 7 to 10 games should be fine. I, I know this is a big topic of discussion around the sports world. When are sports going to come back? But can you guys realistically see the NBA season coming back this year? I, I can't see the regular season coming back down. I'm going to have to disagree with you. Seven to ten games. The Golden State Warriors, the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Atlanta Hawks, the Knicks, they don't want to come back to play those games. Like There's there's no incentive for them. If you look at the standings right now, the East is pretty met up one through eight. And in the West, maybe Portland, New Orleans, San Antonio, maybe they could have a gripe because they're a few games back of the Grizzlies. But yeah. do they really want to make the eighth seed to get swept by the Lakers? Probably not. 
So I think you could start right and go into the playoffs. And if you do, I think you give teams, as you said, the timeline, do they need maybe a month? Do they need two to three weeks? We don't know that yet. But I don't see a problem just going straight into the playoffs because I just think that would get everybody's attention right away with the fact that we're starting with the postseason. Yeah, Andrew, don't get me wrong. I would love to just jump right into the playoffs, but I just don't know how realistic it is with all these guys missing now two months exactly of of playing time and maybe sitting at home. A lot of them can't even shoot a basketball if they don't have a court and they can't go to the practice facilities because it's not open. I wonder realistically if they can just jump into the playoffs or they need a couple of warm-up games. And and I do agree with you in the sense that the East is pretty much locked up. Um, The... uh, uh, the Orlando Magic have the eighth seed, and they're five and a half games um, in, in front of the Washington Wizards, who have the ninth seed and just missing the playoffs. And the Western Conference, basically the same thing. The Grizzlies are three and a half on Portland, New Orleans, and Sacramento. I think that it would be really tough for guys to have their first game back be considered a playoff game. You know, like imagine shaking off the rust in a game that you know, for some is their first time suiting up in the playoffs, you know, like I think the Grizzlies have that eight seed in the West right now. Imagine John Morant's first game back in three months is his first career playoff game. I just don't think that's fair to a lot of the players as they try and shake that rust off in in the postseason, you know? Yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah, no, I was just going to add that it's it's just it's tough. You know, obviously, I, I understand what Jack's saying and I understand what you're saying just to jump right into the postseason. But I, I just feel like when you're talking about the teams that know that they're out of contention, I, I just don't see them saying, all right, we're going to come back for, you know, X amount of games to lose, you know, more than half of those games and then go back home for the offseason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. It's it's tough because you also have to think that say they do start the season, it ends late, then what's going to happen for next season? And I understand there have been talks of just scrapping the season altogether and starting next season, but as a basketball fan and a fan of a guy like LeBron James, it's going to hurt for him especially. The Lakers right now have the one seed. Everyone thought they're going to go to the finals and, and compete for a championship. And now he's missing out on that opportunity. So I don't think it's the right thing to do by completely scrapping the season. So, guys, let's transition real quick. No matter what, if they do a little short regular season and then go into the postseason or jump right into the postseason if they come back, let's talk about some postseason possibilities. And right off the bat, uh, the one I like to look at is the Nets and the Raptors, who would be facing off as the Raptors with the two seed, Nets with the seventh seed. KD and Kyrie, big question mark. Is Kevin Durant coming back? Is he not? Uh, the reports right now are that KD is not coming back this season no matter what. And to me, I, I don't think that's a good idea for him. To, I don't think it's a good idea for him to come back if he is 100% healthy because he hasn't played organized basketball, guys, in what, oh, about a year now. So I still think he needs some time on that, on that leg. But I can see as a Nets fan um, having this two-month period off that you would definitely want him to see him in the playoffs and see if he can run for a chip or something like that. And Dom, when you think about that Nets team, if you add KD and Kyrie to a team that already has Spencer Dinwiddie and Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, DeAndre Jordan coming off the bench as, as one of those locker room guys, they are set, as far as I'm concerned, in a postseason where anything is possible now. Everyone is coming in 
you know, just rattled and not really at 100%. So if you're the Nets, this really might be a year or a season where you can take advantage and maybe make a run to the finals. I mean, you got two former finals MVPs. And if they are 100%, Dom, it's hard for mm-hmm. me to think that as, as if it keeps dragging out, maybe KD, somebody who changes, he changes his mind every 30 seconds, it seems, <laughs> as, as we've seen before. So you can't tell me that if another month passes by without basketball, that KD isn't going to want to play. And yeah. Jack, you got to admit that if they do have KD and Kyrie, this is a team that can beat anyone in the East. They're definitely a force to be reckoned with, but I think that you need to ask the questions can they actually beat the Raptors in the first round? I mean, you look at a guy like Nick Nurse who, you know, in league circles is, you know, could could even be considered the best coach in the league other than a guy like Greg Popovich. And you look at the Nets and, I mean, who who is their coach right now? How many games has he coached? Yeah, that's a good point. That's actually a really good point, Jack, that you bring up. Um, is the, the, like you said, the, the, the Nets fired Kenny Atkinson in the, in the middle of, uh, the season and it, it, there was reports that him and Kyrie just weren't getting along and that's been Kyrie's MO basically wherever he goes he just doesn't get along with the coach except for Ty Lue um, <laughs> apparently but um, just looking at the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference and I'm trying to figure out and just look at a team that maybe having this hiatus right now they would come back refreshed and ready to go and guys one team that just jumps out at me I I would I would say the Lakers are still the favorites in the West, but given rest, I think a team you should look out for is the Clippers. Remember, they were a lot of people's favorites to win the West, and they're about five and a half out right now. Kawhi doesn't need any more load management. He's been off for two months plus more, depending on when the season's going to start. Him and Paul George teaming up fresh, I believe the Clippers are a team you got to look out for. Uh, Dom, I agree with you. I mean, once you come back, there, is not, there isn't going to be any load management for Kawhi yeah. or for PG. So they're going to come in ready at 100% to make that run. And another team I think of, too, that maybe could have an upset. You talk about Denver's there at three. The sixth seed is Houston. If James Harden gets rest, we know how much of a workload he has to take for that team and what kind of toll it takes. He's getting that rest that he needs. What if he comes back and he's refreshed? That looks like a first-round upset in my mind, Jack. Mm-hmm. Andrew, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, you look at teams like the Lakers and LeBron James this year, I think you look at what he has put out and you you really value that playmaking. But he's so dependent on his teammates and the Rockets, they have their two alphas, right? You've got Russell Westbrook and James Harden. And with the departure of Clint Capella, the rest of the team is really just there to stand at the perimeter and knock down threes. And that's something that you can really work on right now as opposed to training, you know, at an elite level, which is kind of impossible during quarantine. And I think when you put James Harden and Russell Westbrook on the court with tons of rest, with lockdown, you know, defenders and good perimeter shooters, I think that's a team that could shock a lot of people when the playoffs come, Dom. Yeah, 100%. Jimmy, I know you want to add something on this. Yeah, there's one team I thought about when you were talking about uh, the lockdown and getting rest and getting healthy. And it's an interesting team. I don't know how far they can go, but I like Indiana. With Victor Oladipo coming back, 
they would have, if we keep the standings now, if they win in the first round, they would have Milwaukee in the second round. Healthy Oladipo, we've seen what he can do. I would just be interested to see how they do. They're a team that fascinates me. I liked them before this, and I think they benefit from the lockdown, maybe more so than some of these other teams around them in the standings. And, And guys, there's no doubt with everyone getting rest, this has a chance to be an all-time an all-time playoffs whenever this comes back for multiple reasons for the fact that we haven't seen basketball in a few months um, and that it's going to come back and everyone's going to be watching and then everyone rested LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden in the West and in the East like you said Victor Oladipo, the Philadelphia 76ers and the Boston Celtics bam right out of the first round what a first round matchup the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers it seems like besides the Bucks in Toronto um, becoming the formidable teams in the East the past few years. Over the course of these draft classes, it was a collision course between the Boston Celtics and the Philadelphia 76ers, and now they'll be going head-to-head in the first round. And I'm, a ve- I'm very intrigued by this matchup, Andrew. And how about both teams entering this hiatus? When you talk about Boston, they were on their way up. They had their little struggles, had some injuries, but they looked like they were coming on. And for the 76ers... I mean, we were all talking about if Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons could actually coexist. It, it just didn't look like it just didn't look like they had that same sync, that same wavelength, that that same momentum that they had last year going into that series with the Raptors. Where obviously, if Kawhi Leonard doesn't make that shot, maybe Philadelphia beats them, and maybe they have a shot against Milwaukee to get into the finals. We don't know. Uh, a lot of things changed when Kawhi made that shot. But again, those yeah. are two teams that we thought would be at the top. Obviously, Milwaukee and Toronto have emerged. But, Jack, this Philadelphia team, they've had their time to really think about it. And and let's hope that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons have kind of gotten together and really just taken this time to just hash things out because when they're on the court, they're one of the best duos in the league. Yeah, and their season really was characterized by their inability to kind of create that chemistry that they needed. I mean, you lose that closer they had in Jimmy Butler and you add Al Horford who's an incredible player. I loved him when he was in Boston, but I do think that really hurt them in terms of spacing on the court. And it would be really interesting to see if that time off allows them to refresh and really hit that reset button and say, hey, guys, we have a ton of talent on this team. And, you know, going off against a young Boston team, let's see if we can exploit that, though. Mm-hmm. And, Jack, to, to your point, this season, this past season for the 76ers, coming into it, it was supposed to be a big year for them, challenging Boston, Toronto, and uh, the Bucks uh, at the top of the East. And it, to me, it seems like a team where they have a lot of, like you said, individual talent. They just haven't been able to put it together, coupled with uh, injuries that they had. I mean, Joel Embiid had the shoulder, Tobias Harris, Al Horford. They need some time to refresh and uh, uh, to get back into to shape as well. I If this matchup happened... As planned, I, I feel like the the Celtics would have ran away with it. But now, with everyone refreshed, the 76ers had time to collect, recollect their thoughts, get back into it. Um, it. It should be a good series whenever it happens. I mean, guys, the 76ers. There was talks about letting Brett Brown go it, during the season. That's how bad things got for them. And this team is much better than a sixth seed, or at least they and should. And Dom, be. I, I was. Just- I was just going to say just that, um, Brett Brown, his job might be on the line if they can't mm-hmm. get out of the first round. I know Boston is a good team, and if they lose to Boston, 
many people might say, you know, there's no shame to that. But this might be it for Brett Brown. If he, he, we just saw what happened to Kenny Atkinson. He got fired after maybe perhaps the best offensive performance his team put up against the Spurs. And I know because I was there. To quote Chris Berman, I was there. I, I covered that game. And at no point did we think Kenny Atkinson was going to get fired right after that. So to me, Brett Brown is coaching for his job. And they have the talent as a six seed. They have the talent to make that run to a possible Eastern Conference Finals. But again, there's just been so much turmoil and just seems like so much dissension uh, among the ranks that uh, perhaps his job may not be salvageable, Jack. And a guy especially who time off is MB. Ever since he came into the league, he's been walking injury. That's been the big question mark around his career because – when he's on the court, you can't deny what he's capable of. But it's just a matter of him staying out there and being healthy. And with this time off, I think that really allows him to take a breather and get back, hopefully, able to stay on the court for an extended period of time. Well, guys, before we wrap up, like I mentioned, for me, the, the matchup that I, I'm really anxious to see when basketball and if basketball comes back in the first round is the Celtics versus 76ers. Andrew, we'll start with you, and then we'll go to Jack to wrap things up. Is there one matchup that really stands out for you that you can't wait to see? Uh, you know what? I'm going to have to say, and I, this is it's probably going to be a five- or six-game series, maybe five games, but the Clippers at two and the Mavericks at seven. Luka Doncic I was looking at that one Kawhi too. Leonard in that first round, that could be... <laughs> get to be a six or seven game series so that that would definitely be fun to me but again a lot of good matchups to choose from what about you jack and then we'll go to jimmy we'll have jimmy come in as well (laughs) i'm not gonna take what jimmy's i think i know what jimmy's gonna say so i'm gonna i'm gonna pivot and i'm gonna choose lakers grizzlies one version i don't john morant has been such a captivating player i mean him paired with Jaron Jackson Jr., I think that duo is going to make a lot of noise in these coming years. And do I think that they can beat the Lakers? Probably not. But you see, I mean, you see in the last dance how uh, Jordan faced off against these great Celtics teams. Mm-hmm. And his team wasn't ready to take that next step, but Bird acknowledged his greatness. And it would be awesome to see that happen with LeBron and John Morant. And and real quick before we let Jimmy jump in, Jack, to your to your point, John Morant's already made it known that he wants to go up against LeBron and and, and the Lakers. I mean, this kid isn't afraid of anything. I love to see a guy, a guy like that. Look, they they could easily go out there and get swept, but you could see John Morant take that next step and get the um, the. Uh, the play in the playoffs and take that for next year uh, and seasons to come, take that experience with him. Absolutely. He's been such a fun player to watch and it's going to be really exciting to see, you know, we we've almost like pegged this rivalry between him and Zion, even though they were like former AAU teammates and just seeing those two guys come out of the same draft class going forward. I just think the league's in really good hands for the future. What about you, Jimmy? Um, I'm going to be different. I'm going to go with the two teams that got us into this entire mess, the Jazz and the Thunder, the 4-5 matchup out west. Because <laughs> we all remember where we were on March yes. 11th, figuring, trying to figure out what the heck was going on in Oklahoma City. And 
I, I'm curious about the Jazz more than anything. I love the Thunder and what they did this year. Billy Donovan might be coach of the year. Um, Shea Gilgis Alexander is a rising star in this league. Uh, but I want to see how the dynamics are with the Jazz if and when we get back to the court. People are saying that Gobert and Mitchell have hatched it out. Um, you know, obviously one gave the other the coronavirus, so obviously not a, a great relationship there. <laughs> but I'll, I'm curious about the Utah Jazz. Yeah, I definitely like that pick, Jimmy, and um, uh, definitely curious to see where the relationship, like you said, between Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, uh, because like they're, they're two great players on that team. It would be a shame if, if the relationship there can't be repaired. Uh, guys, before before we wrap up, great talking with you. I, I wish we could have done this in person, but obviously under the circumstances, it, it was just great to get an episode out there and to talk to, to you, Jimmy, Jack, and Andrew. Yeah, most definitely, Dom. Uh, just good to just shoot the breeze and just talk sports again. It's been so long that uh, you know this is just much needed and very cathartic, I think, in my opinion. So great to talk to you guys again, and, mm -hmm. and let's keep putting content out while things come back to normalcy. Yeah, it's great talking hoops. You know, I miss it, but uh, this is the best we can do, and I'm glad that we can do it. And that will just about do it for this edition of Pick and Pod. For Jack Roach, Andrew Posadas, and our producer, Jimmy Sullivan, I am Dominic Capone. We'll catch you next time.